0: Jesus in Numbers, part one, the journey in the desert starts for the Jews. The Hebrews call the book of Numbers in the wilderness. It's the beginning of the journey of the Jews to the promised land, the covenant that God made with Abraham. First, let's do a little recap on the story of the people of Israel until now. In Genesis 46, we learned that there were 70 members of Jacob's, who's also called Israel, his family, who moved from Canaan to Egypt because of the drought and famine in the area. Jacob's son, Joseph, was a high-ranking leader in Egypt. Fast forward 430 years, and the Jews are enslaved by a mean pharaoh, who didn't know Joseph. Entered Moses, who was called by God to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt. There were about 600,000 men, not counting women and children, who left Egypt to return to the promised land. It's a year since they left Egypt, and during that time, God gave Moses some rules and laws that they, the Jews, needed to follow and stay right with God. He also gave Moses detailed instructions on building their mobile church or tabernacle, as well as strict rules of sacrificing for atonement. And after going through all those lessons, I'm really glad that Jesus made the final and ultimate sacrifice and we don't have to go through all those rites and rituals because Jesus paid it all. All So we find the Jews getting ready to set out finally to the promised land. But before any road trip, there's got to be a little organization, especially if you're trying to move two million people into an inhabited land where there was going to be resistance. So let's dig in. We're in Numbers chapter one. A year after Israel's departure from Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tabernacle in the wilderness of Sinai. On the first day of the second month of that year, he said, from the whole community of Israel, record the names of all the warriors by their clans and families. List all the men 20 years old or older who are able to go to war. You and Aaron must register the troops, and you will be assisted by one family leader from each tribe. Now, in Numbers, which is what, one of the reasons it's called Numbers is it's got all the numbers of all the, of all these leaders, but they've got some strange names, and I'm just going to let you read them on your own. If you look in your Bible, you can click on my blog, and there's a link um, to the... Um, Uh, the Bible app online. But just to refresh, the tribes of Israel were Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Ephraim, the son of Joseph, Manasseh, the other son of Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Asher, Gad, Naphtali, and Levi. But wait, there's 13. Well, God decided to give Joseph's two sons, each a tribe, and the Levites being the priestly tribe don't count. I'm skipping around numbers a little bit so I don't bore you with all the numbers, but you can read it all if you click on my blog um, or go to your Bible and just you know just just read through it and you kind of understand a little bit better where all these names and leaders and so forth. So each tribe had a leader. Okay, so let's go on and um, and then the the book also lists. Um, how many people were in each tribe. So um, we're in Numbers 1 verse uh, 16. These are the chosen leaders of the community, the leaders of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the clans of Israel. So Moses called together those chosen leaders and they assembled the whole community of Israel on that very day. All the people were registered according to their ancestry by their clans and families. The men of Israel, who were twenty years old or twenty years old or older were listed one by one, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses recorded their names in the wilderness of Sinai. Now this is going to be important when we get down a little further into into numbers. Um, how this generation here, this twenty years or older uh, bunch of pe- bunch of men, is uh, it's going to come in. So I just want to keep that in mind. So all total, there were 603,550 men of fighting age. I'll we'll pick it up again in verse 47. But this total did not include the Levites. For the Lord said to Moses, do not include the tribe of Levi in the registration. Do not count them with the rest of the Israelites. Put the Levites in charge of the tabernacle of the covenant along with all its furnishings and equipment. They must carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings as you travel, and they must take care of it and camp around it. Whenever it is time for the tabernacle to move, the Levites will take it down, and when it's time to stop, they will set it up again. But any unauthorized person who goes too near the tabernacle must be put to death. Each tribe of Israel will camp in a designated area with its own family banner. But the Levites will camp around the tabernacle of the covenant to protect the community of Israel from the Lord's anger. The Levites are responsible to stand guard around the tabernacle. So the Israelites did everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. See, they're obeying right now. So, okay, let's see how long this obedience lasts. Okay, now we're going to go quickly through Numbers 2 and 4, but again, we're skipping around, but I do um, recommend that you read it on your own. So Numbers 2, verse 1 starts, Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses and Aaron. When the Israelites set up camp, each tribe will be assigned its own area. The tribal divisions will camp beneath their family banners on all four sides of the tabernacle, but at some distance from it. So basically, three sets of tribes were to camp on each of the four sides of the tabernacle, but some distance away. Then the three sons of Levi and their clans would camp between the Israelites and the tabernacle to protect it. And Moses and Aaron and their families camped at the entrance. So the Levite clan altogether had 22,000 males. Numbers 217 reads, then the tabernacle carried by the Levites will set out from the middle of the camp, All tribes are to travel in the same order that they camp, each in position under the appropriate family banner. Okay, Um, that was Numbers 2.17. Now we're in Numbers 3.11. And the Lord said to Moses, look, I have chosen the Levites from among the Israelites to serve as substitutes for all the firstborn sons of the people of Israel. The Levites belong to me for all the firstborn males are mine. On the day I struck down all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians that's that final plague, that I set apart for myself all the firstborns in Israel, uh, both of people and of animals. They are mine. I am the Lord. Those numbers three, 11 through 13. Moving the tabernacle. Moving is not fun. In my adult life, I've moved over 30 times. It's a traumatic experience. In Exodus, we saw how intricate the tabernacle was. Imagine having to tear down and set up all the time. And it's going to be perfect. That's where the Levites came in. That was their job. And Numbers 4 goes into detail on the duties of each of the Levite clans. It's amazing how organized God was. And again, you can read it in your Bible. You can click on over to my blog and, and, and click where it says Numbers chapter four and then you can uh, you can read it there. Now, uh, Numbers three fourteen, The Lord spoke again to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. He said, record the names of the members of the tribe of Levi by their families and clans. List every male who was one month old or older. Moses listed them just as the Lord had commanded. I saw that I'm like, one-month-old oh, baby is going to be able to carry stuff from the tabernacle? But nope, that's what God said. Okay. Well, Levi had three sons whose names were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Practice that last one. So Gershon had two sons. So uh, Numbers 325. So uh, these two clans, Gershon were responsible to care for the tabernacle, including the sacred tent with its layers of coverings, the curtain at its entrance, the curtains of the courtyard that surrounded the tabernacle and altar, and the curtain at the courtyard entrance, the ropes and all the equipment related to their use. Kohath had four sons. These four clans were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, and the various articles used in the sanctuary. The inner curtain, and all the equipment related to their use. Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, was the chief administrator over all the Levites with special responsibility for oversight of the sanctuary. Merari had two sons. These two clans were responsible for the care of the frames supporting the tabernacle, the crossbars, the pillars, the bases, and all the equipment related to their use. They were also responsible for the posts of the courtyard and all their bases, pegs, and ropes. Okay, so then, then we go into redeeming the firstborn sons, or verse 40. Then the Lord said to Moses, now count all the first, firstborn sons in Israel who are one month old or older and make a list of their names. The Levites must be reserved for me as substitutes for the firstborn sons of Israel. I am the Lord, and the Levites' livestock was reserved for me as substitutes for the firstborn livestock of the whole nation of Israel. So Moses counted the firstborn sons of the people of Israel just as the Lord had commanded. The number of firstborn sons who were one month old or older was 22,273. Then the Lord said to Moses, take the Levites as substitutes for the firstborn sons of the people of Israel and take the livestock of the Levites as substitutes for the firstborn livestock of the people of Israel. The Levites belong to me, I am the Lord. There are 273 more firstborn sons of Israel than there are Levites. To redeem these extra firstborn sons, collect five pieces of silver for each of them, each piece weighing the same as the sanctuary shekel, which equals 20 gerahs. Give the silver to Aaron and his sons as the redemption price for the extra firstborn sons. So Moses collected the silver for redeeming the firstborn sons of Israel who exceeded the number of Levites. He collected 1,365 pieces of silver on behalf of these firstborn sons of Israel, each piece weighing the same as the sanctuary shekel. And Moses gave the silver for the redemption of Aaron and his sons just as the Lord had commanded. All right, so where's Jesus in all this? Well, Jesus is our substitute. And I'm going to borrow again from the folks that spoke in gospel, this time from their Bible study, Jesus in all of numbers. Okay, it reads, God says that all firstborn males belong to him. This is based on what he did in Exodus. He put to death all the Egyptian firstborn males, but passed over all the Israelites firstborn, Exodus 12, 29. Basically, the firstborn owe their lives to God. They belong to him. But instead of taking each firstborn from all the tribes into a service, God allows the Levites to stand in for them as their substitute. So another census is taken to count the firstborn males in Israel. There are 22,273 firstborn males and 22,000 Levite males. That means that the firstborn males have a one for one substitute except for 273 of them. What are the rest to do? They are bought at a price of five shekels each. Basically, the price on their head is paid. Now, instead of all the firstborn males from every tribe being taken out of their families and land to serve in God's tent, the Levites perform this duty on their behalf. This is a picture of how Jesus is our substitute. We have a price on our heads because of our sin. We deserve what the firstborn Egyptians got, death. But God's wrath passes over us when we put our faith in Jesus, who received the penalty we deserved as our substitute. But when Jesus paid for the death we deserved with his life, there was no remainder of, Um, uh, left unpaid like the 273 Israelites who had to be bought with money. Jesus paid it all. Moreover, Jesus has performed every tabernacle task that we never could have performed. His own body is the true tabernacle where God dwelt on earth. In our place, he did not pull up some tent pegs and fold some cloth. He allowed the tent of his body to literally be torn down, but the tent didn't stay down. God also set the tent of his body back up in his resurrection. Again, that's from uh, Jesus is all uh, All of Numbers by Spoken Gospel. Following Jesus in the book of Numbers, God will be leading the Israelites through the wilderness desert to the promised land. All they have to do is follow and obey. And that's exactly what God wants you to do follow and obey. God knows exactly where you are and where you are going. The question is are you going in the right direction? Or do you need to do a complete 180 degree turn to avoid going to hell? That's your choice heaven or hell. If you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, Receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way, nonstop ticket to heaven and that you won't be left behind in the rapture. What you have to do is believe, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Invite Jesus into your heart right now and receive the gift and and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. Soli Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Jesus in Numbers, part two. Staying pure and faithful in the presence of God. Have you ever been telling a story from your past and then remembered something pertinent and had to say, oh, I forgot about this, or this is important. That's what's happening here. Moses is writing this as a memoir, sort of. He's dictating to a scribe. Back then, there was no inserting pages in a book already written. God wants Moses to explain everything and not leave anything out. All these are the laws Hebrew generations were to follow until the Messiah came. And yes, they are still in Sinai, still prepping for the big move. That starts in tomorrow's story. Today, we're making sure everything that's to come before God is pure and holy, like he is holy. These rituals are tiring, which is why, again, I am so glad that Jesus became our last and final sacrifice so we can be holy like he is holy. Let's dig in. We're in Numbers 5, purity in the camp. The Lord gave these instructions to Moses, command the people of Israel to remove from the camp anyone who has a skin disease or a discharge who has become ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person. This command applies to men and women alike. Remove them so they will not defile the camp in which I live among them. So the Israelites did as the Lord had commanded Moses and removed such people from the camp. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If any of the people, men or women, betray the Lord by doing wrong to another person, they are guilty. They must confess their sin and make full restitution for what they have done adding an additional 20% and returning it to the person who was wronged. But if the person who was wronged is dead and there are no near relatives to whom restitution can be made, the payment belongs to the Lord and must be given to the priest. Those who are guilty must also bring a ram as sacrifice. They will also be purified and made right with the Lord. All the sacred offerings that the Israelites bring to a priest will belong to him. Each priest may keep all the sacred donations that he receives. That's Numbers 5, 1 through 10. And something about the beginning of of removing the people with contagious diseases. Okay, even God quarantined the sick and not the healthy. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, the next section in Numbers 5 is protecting marital faithfulness. And it's interesting what they make uh, an unfaithful woman do. Um, you can read it on your own. I'm not going to um, bore you with that. Um, so you can click on over to my blog or, or read in your Bible or the Bible app and Numbers, Numbers 5. I'm going to uh, pop on over to number 6, the vow of the Nazarite. Now, don't get this confused with Nazareth the town where Jesus was born. The Hebrew word zar, Z-A-R, means to separate. The vow of the Nazarite was a special vow. Samson was a Nazarite and we'll read about him in Judges and he breaks the vow by falling into temptation with Delilah who cut off his hair. And regarding the the town of Nazareth, um, if I remember correctly reading reading something or watching a video or something or other because the city of David was Bethlehem and that's where David was born. And that's why Jesus had to be born there. But something happened and a lot of the descendants of King David moved to Nazareth. They were separate from everybody else. I guess I don't, I'm not sure exactly why or when this happened, but that's how that's kind of how, the, um, the descendants of David, which are both Mary and Joseph, ended up in Nazareth, which is you know up, up north, rather than staying in Bethlehem, because um, that's where uh, the the uh, the city of David. But um, anyway, that's for another study <laughs> down the line some other time. All right, number six. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Give the following instructions to the people of Israel." If any of the people, either men or women, take the special vow of a Nazarite, setting themselves apart to the Lord in a special way, they must give up wine and other alcoholic drinks. They must not use vinegar made from wine or from other alcoholic drinks. They must not drink fresh grape juice and they must not eat grapes or raisins as long as they are bound by their Nazarite vow. They are not allowed to eat or drink anything that comes from a grapevine, not even the grape seeds or skins. They must never cut their hair throughout the time of their vow, for they are holy and set apart to the Lord, until the time of their vow has been fulfilled. They must let their hair grow long, and they must not go near a dead body during the entire period of their vow to the Lord. Even if the dead person is their own father, mother, brother, or sister, they must not defile themselves. For the hair on their head is a symbol of their separation to God. This requirement applies as long as they are set apart to the Lord. And you can continue reading um, all about that in, um, uh, in number six. Um, and um, also Samson, which we'll read about down the line in the book of Judges, he was a Nazarite. And he breaks his vow by falling into temptation with Delilah, who cut off his hair. But that's the story down for the book of Judges. That's a little ways down still. At the end of the book of Numbers, we have the priestly blessing, which you may hear often because a lot of uh, pastors use this at the end. Uh, But we pick it up in verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you or keep you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons have blessed the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. Okay. Now, um, I in the bottom of my blog, I embedded a video um, with Amir Sarfati, who's a Messianic Jew, and, and he always gives... Um, this oh, he calls it the ironic blessing in Hebrew, and I love how it sounds. And I've um, queued up the video right to where that blessing is at the end. But you should watch that video because it's it's pertinent um, with what's going on in the Middle East right now. Okay, number seven, the offering of each tribe. So here we have each of the 12 tribes bringing their offering to the tabernacle. Again, I won't bore you with this, but I do encourage you to read it here for yourself so you can get an idea on how tiring rituals can be. Well, We'll, we'll start um, describing it in verse 1. On the day Moses set up the tabernacle, he anointed it and set it apart as holy. He also anointed and set apart all its furnishings and the altar with its utensils. Then the leaders of Israel, the tribal leaders who had registered the troops, came and brought their offerings. Together they brought six large wagons and 12 oxen. There was a wagon for every two leaders and an ox for each leader. They presented these to the Lord in front of the tabernacle. Then the Lord said to Moses, Receive their gifts and use these oxen and wagons for transporting the tabernacle. Distribute them among the Levites according to the work they have to do. So Moses took the wagons and oxen and presented them to the Levites. He gave two wagons and four oxen to the Gershonite division for their work. He gave four wagons and eight oxen to the Merorite division for their work. All their work was done under the leadership of Edomar, son of Aaron the priest. But he gave none of the wagons or oxen to the Kohathite division, since they were required to carry the sacred objects of the tabernacle on their shoulders. Um, And we'll see, I'll, I'll have a picture of how they carried the Ark of the Covenant. The leaders also presented dedication gifts for the altar at the time it was anointed. They each placed their gifts before the altar. The Lord said to Moses, let one leader bring his gifts each day for the dedication of the altar. So this was a dedication offering brought by the leaders of Israel at the time the altar was anointed. Twelve silver platters, twelve silver basins, twelve gold incense containers. Each silver platter weighed three and a quarter pounds and each silver basin weighed a, qu- a one and three quarter pounds. The total weight of the silver was 60 pounds as measured by the weight of the sanctuary's shekel. Each of the 12 gold containers that was filled with incense weighed four ounces as measured by the weight of the sanctuary shekel. Did I just read that. Oh, no, I didn't repeat it. Okay. The total weight of the gold was three pounds. 12 young bulls, 12 rams, and 12 one-year-old male lambs were donated for the burnt offerings along with their prescribed grain offerings. 12 male goats were brought for the sin offerings. Um, 24 bulls, 60 rams, 60 male goats, 61-year-old male lamps were donated for the peace offering. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. (sighs) Whenever Moses went into the tabernacle to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the ark's cover, the place of atonement. That rests on the Ark of the Covenant. The Lord spoke to him from there. And that, w- that was verses seven, number seven, verses one through 11. And then I skipped down to 84 and 89. Okay. So um, yes, I'm, yes, <laughs> um, I'm, we don't have all that time. <laughs> so as I understand it, this is the second longest chapter in the Bible. Um, so when you read this chapter, you should realize what Paul meant when he said that people shouldn't be a slave to the law or going in the New Testament to Galatians 5.1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now, make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law or religion. You can't be free if you're a slave to religion. And Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. All right, let's keep going. Numbers 8, preparing the menorah and dedicating the Levites. So the Lord said to Moses, give Aaron the following instructions. When you set up the seven lamps in the lampstand or the candles or the oil burning lights in each of the lamp, the menorah has seven stems. Place them so their light shines forward in front of the lampstand. So Aaron did this and he set up the seven lamps so they reflected their light forward just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The entire lampstand from its base to its decorative blossoms was made of beaten gold. It was built according to the exact design the Lord had shown Moses the Levites dedicated. Then the Lord said to Moses, now set the Levites apart from the rest of the people of Israel and make them ceremonially clean. Do this by sprinkling them with the water of purification and have them shave their entire body and wash their clothing. Now these are the priests, okay, they have to go through this. Then they will be ceremonially clean. Have them bring a young bull and a grain offering of choice flour, moistened with olive oil, along with a second young bull for the sin offering, and then assemble the whole community of Israel and present the Levites at the entrance of the tabernacle. When you present the Levites before the Lord, the people of Israel must lay their hands on them, raising his hands. Aaron must then present the Levites to the Lord as a special offering from the people of Israel, thus dedicating them to the Lord's service. Next, the Levites will lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, present one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to purify the Levites and make them right with the Lord. Oh, God, this is tiring. Then have the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons and raise your hands and present them as a special offering to the Lord. In this way, you will see the Levites, set the Levites apart from the rest of the people of Israel and the Levites will belong to me. After this, they may go to the tabernacle to do their work because you have purified them and presented them as a special offering. Of all the people of Israel, the Levites are reserved for me. I have claimed them for myself in place of all the firstborn sons of of the Israelites. I have taken the Levites as their substitutes for all the firstborn males among the people of Israel are mine both the people and of the animals. I set them apart for myself on the day I struck down all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. Yes, I have claimed the Levites in place of all the firstborn sons of Israel and all of the Israelites. I have assigned the Levites to Aaron and his sons and they will serve in the tabernacle on behalf of the Israelites and make sacrifices to purify the people so no plague will strike them when they approach the sanctuary. So Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel dedicated the Levites carefully following all the Lord's instructions to Moses. The Levites purified themselves from sin and washed their clothes. Aaron lifted them up and presented them to the Lord as a special offering. He then offered a sacrifice to purify them and make them right with the Lord. After that, the Levites went into the tabernacle to perform their duties, assisting Aaron and his sons. So they carried out all the commands that the Lord gave Moses concerning the Levites. The Lord also instructed Moses, this is the rule the Levites must follow. They must begin serving in the tabernacle at the age of 25, and they must retire at the age of 50. After retirement, they may assist their fellow Levites by serving as guards at the tabernacle, but they may not officiate in the service. This is how you must assign duties to the Levites. Man, that is tiring. All right, so how do we get right with God? It certainly isn't by going through ritual after meaningless ritual. That's not why Jesus came, suffered, and died on the cross. What do you think he meant by this? In Matthew, Jesus meant by this in, in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Well, going through all those rituals is tiring. Furthermore, it accomplishes nothing. You know, I mean, the Hebrews had to go through all these rituals every single time. Just like in the Catholic Church, you've got to go through these rituals every single week, and you're you're still not sanctified. You're still not holy like Jesus is holy. True spiritual rest comes only through Jesus and no one or nothing else. And what do you need to do to be made right with God? You need to believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning. Do a complete 100 degree turn in your life and surrender your life to him and ask him for forgiveness be baptized, show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. And what do you have to do? Just invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say. If you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog. and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. And I'll leave you with Another blessing from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Jesus is coming back for his believers any day now. Are you ready? Don't forget to click on over to my blog and listen to the the blessing in Hebrew. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Numbers part three, on the road to the promised land with God leading the way. It's been two years since God freed the Israelites from captivity in Egypt, and it's time to move on to the promised land. However, in Numbers nine, we have one more memoir from Moses as a reminder to always celebrate the Passover the same time each year. And now, since it's just saying the same thing all over again, I'm going to let you read it on your own. You can click on over to my blog or just grab your Bible or Bible app. Uh, Back in my tour guide days in the 80s, I once had a group of 28 tourists in Caracas, Venezuela. We were downtown and it was time to get in vans to go to our next destination. I instructed them that they were to gather in the plaza at the designated time. Each time I took a head count, I'd be missing two people. I'd go and find them and Two more would wander off. It was like herding cats. I surely could have used one of the silver trumpets Aaron had to gather the troops back then. Let's dig in. Numbers 9, the fiery cloud. We pick it up in verse 15. On the, day of the tab- on the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered it. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. This was a regular pattern. At night, the cloud that covered the tabernacle had the appearance of fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. Wherever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. In this way, they traveled in camp at the Lord's command, wherever he told them to go. Then they remained in their camp as long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle. If the cloud remained over the tabernacle for a long time, the Israelites stayed and performed their duty to the Lord. Sometimes the cloud would stay over the tabernacle for only a few days, so the people would stay for only a few days as the Lord commanded. Then at the Lord's command, they would break camp and move on. Sometimes the cloud stayed only overnight, lifted the next morning, but day or night when the cloud lifted, the people broke camp and moved on. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, a month, or a year, the people of Israel stayed in camp and did not move. But as soon as it lifted, they broke camp and moved on. So they camped and traveled at the Lord's command, and they did whatever the Lord told them through Moses. That's Numbers 9, 15 through 23. Obediently following God. Who do you follow? Jesus, I hope. However, do you follow obediently? That's the crucial point here. In reality, the Israelites had a two-week trip of direct walking from Egypt to the Promised Land. Nevertheless, God's plan was to spend two years preparing them with the law and teaching them how to trust, follow, and worship. Once they were off, it should have taken them about two weeks. Unfortunately, as we will soon discover later on in Numbers, the short trip would end up taking 40 years. Now here's a thought. If you followed Jesus obediently, would you get... Where you want to go quicker? Probably. Especially if you're actively seeking God's will in all you do. Jesus told us in Matthew 6.33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else on first and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Continuing, Numbers 10, the silver trumpets. Now the Lord said to Moses, Make two trumpets of hammered silver for calling the community to assemble and to assemble and for signaling the breaking of camp. When both trumpets are blown, everyone must gather before you at the entrance of the tabernacle. But if only one trumpet is blown, then only the leaders, the heads of, clans, of the clans of Israel must present themselves to you. When you sound the signal to move on, the tribes camped on the east side of the tabernacle. You must break camp and move forward. When you sound the signal the second time the tribes camped on the south will follow you must sound short blasts as the signal for moving on but when you call the people to an assembly blow the trumpets with a different signal only the priests aaron's descendants are allowed to blow the trumpets this is a permanent law for you to be observed from generation to generation when you arrive in your own land and go to war against your enemies who attack you, sound the alarm with the trumpets. Then the Lord, your God, will remember you and rescue you from your enemies. Blow the trumpets in times of gladness too, surrounding them at your annual festivals and uh, at the beginning of each month. Blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and peace offerings. The trumpets will remind your God of his covenant with you. I am the Lord your God. I couldn't resist. That's my uh, that's my signal for uh, text messages on my phone. It's called Sherwood Forest, and it's a heralding trumpet. Um, I'll talk about that in a second here. So God's timing is perfect. I knew I was doing Numbers 10 today, and I hadn't read it yet. When I sat down to continue reading Amir Sarfati's book, Israel and the Church, it's available on his website. And if you want to go there, there's a link in my blog. In it, there's a chapter called Two Trumpets Are Better Than One, where he referenced Numbers 10-3. Well, I jumped to get my Bible and read it, then read his chapter again. And he explained about the use of trumpets in biblical times. The trumpet blasts were used to get people's attention, call a gathering of the people, announce the arrival of a dignitary, and direct people in warfare or during a journey. Uh, Maybe think of all the sounds used to get people's attention in historical and modern times, besides, you know, sounds and music and whistles and coming out of your cell phone. You had herald angels. Army buglers who had a different song for each order, car horns, church bells calling people to come to worship, sirens, a train whistle, foghorn, and the Muslim call to prayer. The one I'm looking forward to is the trumpet call of God. Um, and we find that in 1 Thessalonians 4:16, 16. Um, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. I described what this might be like in my own fictional Left Behind series, which you could read over in my blog. Um, Let's continue. The Israelites leave Sinai. We're in verse 11. In the second year after Israel's departure from Egypt, on the 20th day of the second month, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle of the covenant. So the Israelites set out from the wilderness of Sinai, traveled on from place to place until the cloud stopped in the wilderness of Paran. When the people set out for the first time, following instructions the Lord had given through Moses, Judah's troops led the way. They marched behind their banner and their leader was Nashon, son of Amminadab. Okay. Why would um um I there's a whole then they go into the whole list of, of the order that they that they came in, but I've I've got I've kind of summarized them. But why why was Judah leading the way? Wasn't Reuben the oldest? Um, yes, but the, the Messiah would be born out of the tribe of Judah. Hence, God showed them favor. The rest were lined up like this. So Issachar, Zebulun, then the Gershonite and Merorite clans of the Levites who took the tabernacle down and carried it. Then Reuben, Simeon, Gad, then the Kohathite clan of the Levites with the sacred objects from the tabernacle, which would be already set up by the time they got to the next destination. Then Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Dan, Asher, and finally Naphtali. Okay, continuing in verse 28. This was the order in which the Israelites marched division by division. One day Moses said to his brother-in-law, um, Hobab, son of Ruel, the Midianite. We are on our way to the place the Lord promised us, for he says, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised wonderful blessings for Israel. But Hobab replied, No, I will not go. I must return to my own land and family. Please don't leave us, Moses pleaded. You know the places in the wilderness where we should camp. Come be our guide. If you do, we'll share with you all the blessings the Lord gives us. It doesn't say if he does says yes or not. <laughs> but then again, why do they need a guide if they got God with the with the pillar and a fire and the cloud? I, I don't know why. But anyway, verse 33 they marched for three days after leaving the mountain of the Lord with the ark of the covenant moving ahead of them to show them where to stop and rest. As they moved on each day, the cloud of the Lord hovered over them. And whenever the ark set out, Moses would shout, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. Let them flee before you. And when the ark was set down, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Okay, now the question is, are you following Jesus? Today, Christians are called to follow Jesus. God provides training for us in the form of his word in the Bible. We read in Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. The Holy Spirit in the hearts of born-again believers helps us to obey him by convincing us when we stray, I'm sorry, convicting us when we stray. The Holy Spirit helps us follow Jesus and stay on the narrow path. We read in Colossians uh, 2.15, Paul wrote, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. That's him, not a church, not Mary, not saints, not the Pope, not priests or pastor or whoever jesus are you going in the right direction if you're not sure if you're saved or not if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation receive the holy spirit and get a one-way non-stop ticket to heaven and that you won't be left behind in the rapture what you have to do is believe repent be baptized and receive the holy spirit believe have faith that jesus is the christ and he died taking your sins away forever Repent of your sins, stop sinning, do a complete 180 degree, turn in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized, show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ. And receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. And what you have to do is invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, not sure what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says, How to invite Jesus into your life. Um, And also in the bottom of my blog, I embedded the song, The Days of Elijah, because it talks about the trumpet (laughs) and the chorus. I love this song. I love, love, love this song. there, gloria, to God alone be the glory. Jesus in Numbers, part four. Grumbling, envy, humility, and solutions from God. God hears us when we complain. His response, however, may differ depending on the motives behind the complaint. If it's true suffering, God is comforting and healing. If the motives are greed, gluttony, envy, and lust of the flesh, and vanity, etc., well, you deserve what you get. See, God hears all of our complaints. The other major point here in the next two chapters of Numbers as we follow the Jews in the desert is the Holy Spirit. Now you thought the Holy Spirit only came with Jesus, but well, he is here too. He is the helper and a direct connection to God. Growing up Catholic, I always thought of the Holy Spirit as part of the Trinity up in heaven somewhere and which was unreachable to us mere humans. How wrong I was. These next chapters show that God hears us and God provides if we humble ourselves. Let's begin. We're in Numbers chapter 11. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them, and he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help. When he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Taborah, which means the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them there. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. The manna looked like small coriander seeds and it was pale yellow like gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground and they made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with the dew during the night. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining, and the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated and Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me your servant so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them into the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Okay, stop here a second. What's going on here? Well, nobody likes whiners. Why did God respond so harshly? First, God saved the people from slavery and captivity in Egypt, and what do they do? Complain. Where's the gratitude? Life isn't easy. No one ever said it would be. One has to be grateful and content with what they have. That, however, requires humility and living with an attitude of gratitude. Next, there were some Tagalons from Egypt, that's the rabble, who weren't Jews and weren't committed to God. They got bored with eating manna every day. Hey, it was free food from heaven. Be grateful. No, they wanted meat. All this whining and complaining gets to Moses. He's the leader. He's responsible for all these people, their well-being, as well as escorting them to the promised land. He's had it, and he cries out to God. Well, let's continue. Um, Verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel, Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you, so you will not have to carry it alone. Delegation, yeah. And say to the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. You were whining, and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have to eat it. And it won't be for just a day or two, or for five or ten, even twenty. You will eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you. And you have whined to him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses responded to the Lord, there are 600,000 foot soldiers here with me. And yet you say, I will give them meat for a whole month. Even if we butchered all our flocks and herds, would that satisfy them? Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Then the Lord said to Moses, has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my words come true. He doubted God. can't doubt God. God, God's bigger than everything. Verse 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, okay, uh verse 24. So Moses went out and reported the Lord's words to the people. He gathered the seventy elders and stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. Then he gave the seventy elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But this never happened again. Two men. Eldad and Medad, hi dad, (laughs) had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet the spirit rested upon them as well, so they prophesied there in the camp. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop, Moses replied. Are you jealous for my sake? Gee, I can imagine Moses, gee, unbelievable. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord will put his spirit upon them all. Moses returned to the camp with the elders of Israel. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. For miles in every direction, there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all that day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. I sure give him food poisoning too. So that place was called Kibroth Hatavah, right, Hatavah. Which means graves of gluttony. Oh boy. Because there they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. And Kibroth Hadava, the Israelites, from Kib- Kibroth Hadava, the Israelites traveled to Hazaroth, where they stayed for some time. Oh boy. Bad fire and good fire, fire and plagues. Well, we've seen that in today's world. Is that God's wrath on people who complain and don't commit their lives to him? People who refuse to follow God and choose to follow the evil satanic culture? Well, that's something to think about. When I gave my life to Jesus, I received the gift of eternal life and the Holy Spirit in my heart. That's a good fire in your heart, on fire for Jesus. My heart burns to be closer to God, to read his word every day, to praise him and to thank him. What's burning inside of you? Is it anger because things aren't turning out as you planned? Is it fear of unknown or of illness? Are you overburdened with life's worries? Give it to God like Moses did. Yes, it takes a little humbling. It takes realizing that you can't do it all yourself. Let's go on to uh, Numbers 12. I don't worry, this is a short one. While they were in Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron and Miriam and said, go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses of all my house. He is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was very angry with them, and he departed. As the cloud moved from the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from the leprosy. When Aaron saw what happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for the sin we have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh, God, I beg you, please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that, she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Then they left Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. All right, wait a minute. Wasn't Moses married to a Midianite woman, the daughter of Ruel? Yes, but apparently she died and Moses married a Cushite woman from Ethiopia. Yes, an African. The problem wasn't racism. It was envy. Aaron and Miriam were envious that God only spoke through Moses. Of course, God hears them. He hears everything. He tells them to come to the tabernacle. Both Miriam and Aaron were leaders too. Aaron was the high priest and Miriam was a worship leader. But they were both envious of the relationship that Moses had with God. God then speaks to all of them. Envy is a root sin that rots away at a person's soul. Envy brought Cain to kill Abel. Why do you think God made it a commandment? You know, do not covet. Envy doesn't trust, nor does it follow. It leads to evil. James wrote in James 3.16, for wherever there is jealousy, that's envy or coveting and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. And here's another, it's Proverbs 14, 30. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. God struck Miriam with leprosy. That was a death sentence in those days. Aaron begs Moses, who begs God, who heals her, but she's quarantined for seven days. The camp can't move without her, so they wait. It was a lesson for everyone. Gee, even back then they knew to quarantine the sick people and not the healthy. Where's Jesus in all this? Well, Moses was the humble and meek leader of God's people. Jesus is the ultimate leader of all people. He's meek and lowly. Miriam and Aaron are leaders who envied Moses. Jesus' brothers, as well as the leading Jewish priests, envied Jesus. They were jealous of his popularity and his ability to heal people. That anger led to the priests wanting to kill Jesus. Jesus healed Gentiles and that angered the priests. Jesus' bride, the Church of Born Again Believers, is multiracial. The Jews had to wait for seven days for Miriam to be healed. The non-believing Jews who were left behind at the rapture will have to endure through seven years of the Great Tribulation, that's seven years. Nevertheless, afterwards, all of Israel will be saved. And you can find that in Romans 11. How's your relationship with Jesus? Jesus didn't suffer on the cross and die so we could have religion. No, he died so that he could have a relationship with you. Yes, you. In Revelation 3, Jesus said, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and and we will share a meal together as friends. Friends, that's a relationship. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Isn't it about time you let him in? If you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way, non-stop ticket to heaven and that you won't be left behind at the rapture, what you have to do is believe, repent, be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit. Just invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say or you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. Also, at the bottom of my blog today, there is a video from um, Uversion, the Bible app, the free Bible app, on the book of Numbers, what it's all about. Soli their gloria, to God alone be the glory. Jesus and Numbers part five. The Israelites made it to the promised land. 16 years ago, I packed my two cats in my hatchback and set out for the biggest move of my life, Florida to Arizona. The trip took four days. My cats were quiet while I was driving, but as soon as I stopped for gas or to eat, they would start meowing, are we there yet? They complained a lot. Just like the Israelites, they complained a lot. What my cats couldn't understand is that I had my trust and faith fully on God. My life was in his hands and still is. It took the Israelites two years to get to the edge of the promised land. Too bad they just didn't have enough faith and trust in God to go further. Let's dig in. We're in Numbers 13, exploring the promised land. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded, and he sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of their leaders, and I'm not going to read them all to you. There's a link in my blog, and you can read them there or go to your Bible in Numbers 13 Bible app. But two names that will stand out are Caleb from the tribe of Judah and Joshua from the tribe of Ephraim. That's one of Joseph's sons. Joshua, Joshua's name was Hoshea, H-O-S-H-E-A, which means saves. But Moses changed it to Joshua, which means God saves. In Hebrew, Jesus' name is Yeshua or Joshua and is called Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ. Continuing, verse 17. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country and see what the land is like and find out Whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in, is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. And it just happened to be the season of harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near Libnaheth. Going north, they passed through Negev and arrived at Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. When they came to the Valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. And there's a picture and a map over in my blog and you can click on over there. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol, which means cluster because of the cluster of grapes, the Israelites men cut there. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kaddish in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, along and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants, Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. (sighs) Wait a minute, wait a minute. Weren't the Nephilim all killed during the flood in Genesis 6? Well, supposedly the bad ones. However, we are not told if Noah or any of his son's wives could have had Nephilim DNA. Remember one of Noah's sons, Ham, was cursed. Now the Canaanites and the rest of the people in Canaan descend from him. Included in there, by the way, are the Philistines, of which Goliath is one, a giant. Going on. Numbers 14, the people rebel. Again. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? They plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Egypt was where they were enslaved. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Zeph, okay, Zephona, okay, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless. Pray to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me, even after all the miraculous signs I have done among them? I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Then I will make you into a greater and, mighty, and mightier than they are. Into a nation, sorry. Then I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they are. But Moses objective. What will the Egyptians think when they hear about it? Asked the Lord. They know full well the power you displayed in rescuing your people from Egypt. Now, if you destroy them, the Egyptians will send a report to the inhabitants of this land who have already heard that you live among your people. They know, Lord, that you have appeared to your people face to face and that your pillar of cloud hovers over them. They know that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you slaughter all these people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will say the Lord was not able to bring them into the land he swore to give them. So he killed them in the wilderness. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed. For you said the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. But he does not, does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of the parents upon their children and the entire family is affected, even the children in third and fourth generations. In keeping with your magnificent unfailing love, please pardon the sins of this people, just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. But as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I have performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me will contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Now turn around and don't go on toward the land where the Amalekites and Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. The Lord punishes the Israelites. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in this wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old old or older and was included in the registration will die you will not enter or occupy the land i swore to give you the only exceptions will be caleb son of jephunneh and joshua son of nun you said your children will be carried off as plunder well i will bring them safely into the land and they will enjoy what you have despised But as for you, you will drop dead in this wilderness and your children will be like shepherds wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness. Because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years, a year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it is like to have me for an enemy. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will certainly do these things to every member of the community who has conspired against me. They will be destroyed here in this wilderness, and here they will die. Then the ten men Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones who incited rebellion against the Lord with their bad report, were struck dead with a plague before the Lord. Of the 12 who had explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. When Moses reported the Lord's Lord's words to all the Israelites, the people were filled with grief. Then they got up early the next morning and went to the top of the range of hills. Let's go, they said. We realize that we have sinned, but now we are ready to enter the land the Lord has promised us. But Moses says, Why are you now disobeying the Lord's orders to return to the wilderness? It won't work. Do not go up into the land now. You will only be crushed by your enemies because the Lord is not with you. When you face the Amalekites and the Canaanites in battle, you will be slaughtered. The Lord will abandon you because you have abandoned the Lord. But the people defiantly pushed ahead toward the hill country. Even know neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's covenant left the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in those hills came down and attacked them and chased them back as far as Harma. Wow. If the Israelites had just had a little more faith, just a little more trust in God, they would have saved themselves forty years of wandering and dying in the desert wandering in the desert and dying in the wilderness. They blew it. Even when they tried to take on all the ites themselves without God, they failed. They lost the fight. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the only people left to enter the promised land were Caleb, Joshua, and all the children of the men 20 years or older that were counted in Numbers 1. The ones who perished in the wilderness were those who had no faith. Those who couldn't put their whole trust in God. Those who were overcome by fear. Friend, fear is from the devil. There's a spirit of fear all over the world right now. You don't know who to trust these days. If you put your trust in God, you can never fail. Where's Jesus in all this? Well, here's a quote from Spoken Gospel. Again, one of my favorite Bible studies from the and Bible app. Uh, and this is this is from uh, Jesus. Is all, Jesus in all of Numbers by Spoken Gospel. And it reads, quote, the book of Hebrews tells us that these people had good news proclaimed to them. Um, uh, uh, Hebrews 4.2. The good news was that God would be with them to bring them into his rest at the promised land. But they did not believe this good news, that this is why they were kept from entering God's rest in the promised land. The book of Hebrews takes it a step further by saying the true and final rest God offers remains today, and this rest is only available through Jesus. Jesus has already defeated our our true enemy of sin on the cross. Jesus has already conquered the true giant of death in his resurrection. He has already entered into the final promised land at the right hand of God, where he sits and rests from his perfectly accomplished work. All we must do is have faith like the Israelites failed to do. Both this text in Numbers and in Hebrews offer us the same warning. Don't lose faith. Believe the gospel. Trust that God is powerful enough to save you. Believe that Jesus has earned what you couldn't earn yourself. Don't be like the presumptuous, the. the <laughs> Don't be like the presumptions Israelites who try to enter into the land without God and lost. You can't earn this yourself. Trust and rest. Again, that's from Jesus in all of Numbers by Spoken Gospel. And the link to them is in my blog. Well, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11, 28. Heaven is our promised land. It's the confident hope that we born-again believers have when we surrender our lives to Jesus. And Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Our giants are sin and death. However, Jesus overcame so we could overcome. God is bigger than any giants you may be facing. Let go and let God. What you have to do is believe, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning. Do a complete 180 in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized, show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. So invite Jesus into your heart right now and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. Soli deo gloria to God alone. Be the glory. Jesus in Numbers, part six: Sinning against God, disobedience has its consequences. The Israelites rebelled against God by not trusting in Him. We read that in yesterday's um, passage passages, and now a whole generation will not see the promised land they will be wandering in the desert for 40 years until the younger generation is old enough to be able to fight the people who inhabit Canaan. Meanwhile, God God tells Moses to remind the people that while they're alive, they still have to offer special gifts as a sacrifice to God. He also goes into detail in in case the sin is unintentional. That's in Numbers 15 verses 1 through 29 and I'll let you read that on your own. Um, however, then we have a major rebellion. The people just don't want to listen to God. They are tired of wandering, tired of waiting for the promised land, and they become impatient. And well, let's dig in. We are picking up in Numbers 15, verse 30. But those who brazenly violate the Lord's will, whether native-born Israelites or foreigners have blasphemed the Lord, and they must be cut off from the community. Since they have treated the Lord's word with contempt and deliberately disobeyed his command, they must be completely cut off and suffer the punishment for their guilt. Penalty for breaking the Sabbath. One day, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they discovered a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. The people who found him doing this took him before Moses, Aaron, and the rest of the community. They held him in custody because they did not know what to do with him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must be put to death. The whole community must stone him outside the camp. So the whole community took the man outside the camp and stoned him to death, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. God's not fooling around. Tassels and clothing. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Throughout the generations to come, you must make tassels for the hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. When you see the tassels, you will remember and obey all the commands of the Lord, instead of following your desires and defiling yourselves as you are prone to do. The tassels will help you remember that you must obey all my commands And be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. I am the Lord your God. Has to keep reminding people. So if you've ever wondered why religious Jewish men wear tassels on their clothing or shawls, now you know. It wasn't a fashion statement. They are obeying the law which makes me ever more grateful of the sacrifice that Jesus did, once and for all, fulfilling all the laws of Moses in redemptions for our sins, past, present, and future. Now comes the interesting story. We're in number 16, and we have Korah's rebellion. One day, Korah, son of Izar, descendant of Kohath, son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and An, the son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben, they incited a rebellion against Moses along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. They united against Moses and Aaron and said, you have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? When Moses heard what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. Then he said to Korah and his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. The Lord will allow only those whom he selects to enter his own presence. Korah, you and all your followers must prepare your incense burners, light fires in them tomorrow, and burn incense before the Lord. Then we will see whom the Lord chooses as his holy one. You Levites are the ones who have gone too far. Then Moses spoke again to Korah. Now listen, you Levites. Does it seem insignificant significant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him so you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Korah, he has already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? The Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. For who is Aaron? that you are complaining about him. Then Moses summoned Dathan and um, Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they replied, we refuse to come before you. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, to kill us here in this wilderness, and that you now treat us like your subjects? What's more, you haven't brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey. "'You haven't given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. "'Are you trying to fool these men? "'We will not come.' "'Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, "'Do not accept their grain offerings. "'I have not taken so much as a donkey from them. "'I have never hurt a single one of them.' "'And Moses said to Korah, "'You and all your followers must come here tomorrow "'and present yourselves before the Lord. "'Aaron will also be here.' You and each of your 250 followers must prepare an incense burner and put incense on it so you can all present them before the Lord. Aaron will also bring his incense burner. So each of these men prepared an incense burner, lit the fire, and placed incense on it. Then they all stood at the entrance of the tabernacle with Moses and Aaron. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron, and they all gathered at the tabernacle entrance. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to the whole community. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, get away from all these people so that I may instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. Oh, God, they pleaded. You are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people with only one man's sins? And the Lord said to Moses, then tell all the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So Moses got up and rushed over to the tents of Dathan, Abiram, followed by the elders of Israel. Quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins. So all the people stood back from the tents of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. And then Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the entrances of their tents together with their wives, children, and little ones. And Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done, for I have not done them on my own. If these men die a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them and all their belongings, that's one major sinkhole, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. He had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households and all their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. All the people around them fled when they heard their screams. The earth will swallow us too. Then the fire blazed forth from the Lord and burned up the 250 men who were offering incense. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, to pull all the incense burners from the fire, for they are holy. Also tell them to scatter the burning coals. Take the incense burners of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives and hammer the metal into a thin sheet to overlay the altar. Since these burners were used in the Lord's presence, they have become holy. Let them serve as a warning to the people of Israel. So Eliezer the priest collected the 250 bronze incense burners that had been used by the men who died in the fire and the bronze was hammered into a thin sheet to overlay the altar. This would warn the Israelites that no unauthorized person, no one who has was not a descendant of Aaron should ever enter the Lord's presence to burn incense. If anyone did, the same thing would happen to him as happened to Korah and his followers. So the Lord instructed the Lord's instructions to Moses were carried out. But the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering against Moses and Aaron saying, you have killed the Lord's people. As the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle and saw that the cloud had covered it and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. Moses and Aaron came and stood in front of the tabernacle. And the Lord said to Moses, get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. And Moses said to Aaron, quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the Lord. The Lord's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already begun. Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. He stood between the dead and the living and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died in that plague in addition to those who had died in the affair involving Korah, 250. Then, because the plague had stopped, Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tabernacle. And we'll continue the story tomorrow. But think about what I said before. Jesus came to fulfill all the laws of Moses. He was the ultimate sacrifice and atonement for all our sins. When we believe, repent, and surrender our lives to Jesus, we will not perish. We will not end up in hell. We do join him in heaven. Where you spend eternity is your choice. If you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way, nonstop ticket to heaven and that you won't be left behind at the rapture, what you have to do is believe, repent, Be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning. Do a complete 180 degree turn in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized. Show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ and receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. So what are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. Solideo gloria, to God alone be the glory. Jesus in Numbers part seven, purify yourselves to be in the presence of God. God doesn't ask much of us, just obedience, trust, and purity. Unfortunately, as humans, that is very difficult for us. Emotions and personal feelings get in the way, as do pride, greed, and all the seven deadly sins. This is what happened to the Israelites as well as Moses and Aaron. Already the Israelites grumbled, rebelled, and disobeyed. Now they are doomed to wander the desert until the older generation is dead and the younger generation is old enough. These next chapters of Numbers are important because they point to Jesus as the only way to purify us enough to enter God's presence in heaven. Let's dig in. We're number 17. We have the budding of Aaron's staff. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring you 12 wooden staffs, one from each leader of Israel's ancestral, ancestral tribes and inscribe each leader's name on his staff. Inscribe Aaron's name on the staff of the tribe of Levi, for there must be one staff for the leader of each ancestral tribe. Place these staffs in the tabernacle in front of the ark containing the tablets of the covenant where I meet with you. Bugs will sprout on the staff belonging to the man I choose. Then I will finally put an end to the people's murmuring and complaining against you. So Moses gave the instructions to the people of Israel, and each of the 12 tribal leaders, including Aaron, brought Moses a staff. Moses placed the staffs in the Lord's presence in the tabernacle of the covenant. When he went into the tabernacle of the covenant the next day, he found that Aaron's staff, representing the tribe of Levi, had sprouted, budded, and blossomed and produced ripe almonds. When Moses brought all the staffs out from the Lord's presence, he showed them to the people. Each man claimed his own staff. And the Lord said to Moses, place Aaron's staff permanently before the Ark of the Covenant to serve as a warning to rebels. This should put an end to their complaints against me and prevent any further deaths. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Then the people of Israel said to Moses, look, we are doomed. We are dead. We are ruined. Everyone who even comes close to the tabernacle of the Lord dies. Are we all doomed to die? Yes, we are all doomed to die. That's the deadly virus we are all stricken with. However, where our souls end up is a choice you make while you're still living on earth. Let's go on. Numbers 18, duties of the priests and Levi's. God set the tribe of the Levites apart to be priests and special temple tabernacle assistants. No one else could enter the tabernacle, especially the Holies of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. was. There were special rules for the Levites as well as how they would be supported. So you can read them all in detail in Numbers 18, but I will summarize. So they had the privilege of serving the Lord in the temple. They were in charge of the holy offerings. They could eat food from the holy and sacred offerings as well as partake of the harvest gifts. They did not receive any land. They would be allotted a house in each tribe's area. And we'll see this in the book of Joshua. And they got paid from a tithe of the tithe. That the tithe was 10% of the income. So they they got ten percent of the offering so so each person paid ten percent of whatever they made um, so if they got paid for selling something they would have to give ten percent to the to the temple um, so the priests got ten percent of that continuing numbers 19 purification so remember that 14 950 people died because they were afraid to trust god to enter the promised land yes those are a lot of bodies to deal with and if a jew touches a dead body they are unclean and cannot enter the tabernacle to present their offerings to god they aren't purified so let's see what the lord tells them to do so we're in numbers 19 the lord said to moses and aaron here is another legal requirement commanded by the lord Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer, a perfect animal that has no defects and has never been yoked to a plow. Give it to Eleazar the priest and it will be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Eleazar will take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times towards the front of the tabernacle. As Eleazar watches, the heifer must be burned, its hide, meat, blood, and dung. Eliezer, the priest, must then take a stick of cedar, a hyssop branch, and some scarlet yarn and throw them into the fire where the heifer is burning. Then the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Afterward, he may return to the camp, though he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. The man who burns the animal must also wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and he too will be made unclean until evening. Then someone who is ceremonially clean will gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them in a purified place outside the camp. They, they will be kept there for the community of Israel to use in the water for the purification ceremony. This ceremony is performed for the removal of sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes and he will remain ceremonially unclean until the evening. This is a permanent law for the people of Israel and any foreigners who live among them. All those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves on the third and seventh day with the water of purification. Then they will be purified but if they do not do this on the third and seventh day, they will continue to be unclean even after the seventh day. All those who touch a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way defile the Lord's tabernacle, and they will be cut off from the community of Israel. Since the water of purification was not sprinkled on them, their defilement continues. This is a A ritual law that applies when someone dies inside a tent. All those who enter that tent and those who were inside when the death occurred will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Any open container in the tent that was not covered with a lid is also defiled. And if someone in an open field touches the corpse of someone who was killed with a sword or who died a natural death, or if someone touches a human bone or a grave, that person will be defiled for seven days. To remove the defilement, put some of the ashes from the burnt purification offering in a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then someone who is ceremonially clean must take a hyssop branch and dip it into the water. That person must sprinkle the water on the tent and all the furnishings of the tent and on the people who were in the tent, also on the person who touched a human bone or touched someone who was killed or who died naturally or touched a grave. On the third and seventh days, the person who is ceremonially clean must sprinkle the water on those who are defiled. Then on the seventh day, the people being cleansed must wash their clothes and bathe themselves and that evening they will be cleansed of their defilement but those who became defiled do not purify themselves will be cut off from the community for they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Since the water of purification has not been sprinkled on them, they remain defiled. This is a permanent law for the people. Those who sprinkle the water of purification must afterward wash their clothes and anyone who then touches the water used for purification will remain defiled until evening. Anything and anyone that A defiled person touches will be ceremonially unclean until evening. (sighs) Wow, that's tiring. So a heifer is a cow that has never given birth. So sin-soiled people cannot enter heaven. We read in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. We're in Hebrews 9, and we're starting in verse 13. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus' blood is our new covenant. When Jesus died for us on the cross, his blood purified us from all our sin. We are forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future because of Jesus' sacrifice. We can enter the presence of God in heaven. You can enter heaven only once you believe, repent, are baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. So believe. Have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died taking your sins away forever. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning. Do a complete 180 degree turn in your life and surrender your life to him. Part of the purification process. Okay, can't sin and still, you know, want to be in the presence of Christ. Be baptized. Okay, show the world in yourself that you have died to your own life and are born again in Christ. And this is the water of purification now. Then receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. And the thing is that um, the, you are, your body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit. So your body has to remain pure. And believe me, even after you're, you're born again and you're baptized, if you sin, the Holy Spirit is going to tell you, it's going to convict you. and and and, you know until you you know ask for forgiveness and realize what you did and stop doing it okay you're gonna have this this heavy feeling in your heart because um you you have defiled the temple of god which is your body which is um the holy spirit once you receive the holy spirit once you accept jesus as um your savior and how you do that? You invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, if you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click on where it says "Invite Jesus into your heart." Solely Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Jesus in Numbers, Part Eight. God looks at all of our actions seriously so it's been almost 40 years and the israelites have wandered through the desert wilderness and have ended up back where they started in kadesh right on the edge of the promised land where they sent the 12 spies but they didn't trust god enough to go in and face the inhabitants so what now it seems the younger generation who will inherit the promised land is doing okay it's the older folks that continue rebelling Again, they complain, and again, God provides. However, this time it's Moses and Aaron who don't follow God's instruction to the letter and suffer the consequences. Let's dig in. We're in Numbers 20. Speak to the rock. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers, why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with all our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, no water to drink, and blah, 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 blah. They're doing this all over again. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. They prayed. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community as the people watch speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water you will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock i'm going to read that again because this is important so it's verse 8 you and Aaron must take the staff okay that's the, the not not the staff as in people that you hire but the the rod the uh, the pastor staff and assemble the entire community as the people watch speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water you will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock so moses did as he was told and he took the staff from the place where it was kept before the lord then he and aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock listen you rebels he shouted must we bring you water from this rock Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. So what's wrong? Uh But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. So here we have a symbol of Jesus. Jesus is the rock. He gives us living water, which is the Holy Spirit. Back in Exodus, God told Moses to strike the rock and water poured out. Moses didn't have to strike the rock again but just speak to it. In anger towards the people Moses struck the rock disobeying God. He let his emotions cloud his judgment. How many times do we let our emotions cloud our judgment? How many times do we do things when we knew better? How many times do we let pride, greed, vanity, lust, etc. get between us and God? If we put Jesus first, If we seek him above all else, he will provide what we need. And I just had another thought. When Jesus was on the cross and the Roman soldier stuck his spear in in his side, water and blood came gushing out. Kind of like this whole rock and living water thing too. Just a thought. Just a thought. But in... um, Matthew 6, 33, and I quote this passage often because it is so true, and it works. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Okay? Another point here is that Jesus died once. We all die once. Jesus is represented by the rock which Moses hit the first time to get water. He didn't need to hit the rock again. Let's take a look at Hebrews 9, we're in verse 24. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven, the temple. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again, like the high priest here on earth, who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have to die again and again ever since the world began. Once and once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is de- destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who, eagerly, who are eagerly waiting for him. Oh, Jesus, God. Now, the Roman Catholic Church crucifies and kills Jesus each time they, quote-unquote, celebrate the Eucharist. This is so wrong. And if you click on over my blog, you can check out the research I did on the Catholic Mass and who invented this whole Eucharist thing. All right, continuing back to the desert, no shortcuts. Well, I found this really neat map, and it's in the middle of my blog, and I'm going to use it in the next next few posts so you can actually see where they are, okay? Um, And, you know, considering that it would have been a two week trip and it took 40 years because they just didn't trust God. (laughs) It really makes you stop and think. So, okay, next, they ask a favor from the king of Edom. All they wanted to do is to take a shortcut through Edom. They say they will stick to the main route, the king's road, and even pay for any water that their livestock drinks. But the king of Edom is adamant and says no. And this may stem way back to the ancestors of both groups, twins Esau and Jacob. Remember back in Genesis, Jacob stole Esau's birthright and blessing. The king of Edom wasn't being very brotherly to his brother. It seems the animosity still stands, maybe even today. Edom is part of modern-day Jordan. And uh, you can read about, um, you can just click on over to my blog and read that portion of this um, chapter that I'm kind of skipping over here. But it's, it's just really interesting because, they went all the way up and then they had to come back. They came back down to Kadesh and then they had to go back up because they were going to cross over um, across from Jericho. They're going to cross the Jordan right, uh, right from um, where the Ammonites are. And you'll see it in the map and you'll cross, and they cross over to Jericho because that's that's the next. That's the story in Joshua. And don't worry, we're going to go through. What's the next one? Deuteronomy. We're gonna zip through that one that's a lot of repeat stuff so we're just gonna zip through that one so you don't, don't worry about that hopefully I want I, I personally want to get to the to Joshua anyway we're on we're on to the death of Aaron so we're in numbers 20 verse 22 the whole community of Israel left Kadesh and arrived at Mount Hor. There on the border of the land of Edom, the Lord said to, uh, to Moses and Aaron, the time has come for Aaron to join his ancestors in death. You will not enter the land I am giving the people of Israel because the two of you rebelled against my instructions concerning the water at Meribah. Now take Aaron and his son Eleazar up Mount Hor, uh, there you will remove Aaron's priestly garments and put them on Eleazar his son. Aaron will die here and join his ancestors. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. The three of them went up Mount Hor together as the whole community watched. At the summit, Moses removed priestly garments from Aaron and put them on Eliezer, Aaron's son. Then Aaron died there on the mountain on the top of the mountain. And Moses and Eleazar went back down when the people realized that Aaron had died. All Israel mourned for him for 30 days. And it's interesting how God graciously allowed Aaron to see his son take his place. Nevertheless, it's sad that he wouldn't get to see the promised land. Continuing, Numbers 21. The Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that the Israelites were approaching on the road through Atherim, so he attacked the Israelites and took some of them as prisoners. Then the people of Israel made this vow to the Lord. If you will hand these people over to us, we will completely destroy all their towns. The Lord heard the Israelites request and gave them victory over the Canaanites. The Israelites completely destroyed them and their towns. And the place has been called Hormah ever since. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the uh, H-O-R, HOR, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, because the king of Edom wanted to cut through it. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. It's interesting because uh, right, uh, right now in a, a little uh, it's about an hour northeast of where, uh, where I am in Phoenix. There's a huge wildfire with with like 85,000 acres. And it has cut off Route 60, which is the main road to a town called Globe. Um, And so if I wanted to go see friends over in Globe, I'd have to take a two and a half hour detour because of the road closures, because of this fire. So I can understand, you know, the thought of that. And then somebody else was telling me that somebody would have had, it come, going in the other direction, would have had to go through um, New Mexico, oh, over to New Mexico, up to here, down to there, over this way. And I'm thinking, Man, that sounds like the Israelites wandering in the desert. And that, literally, that's the, to get around this fire. Um, you know so you know and I think of um second chronicles seven thirteen that God says i will I can stop the heavens from giving rain, and I'm paraphrasing um and then he says if if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, I will forgive them." and heal their land. That's what we need right now because our whole Southwest area is uh, in drought. I just read about two more fires in Southeast Arizona and um, there is no rain in sight. There is no rain in sight. Um, On the 15th, which is Tuesday, that's supposed to start our monsoon season. And again, there is no rain in sight. So I pray, I'm praying every day, several times during the day to God for rain. Please bring the rain. Please bring the rain. Um, people are losing homes, businesses, and it is totally disrupting. The people of globe can't even get mail. Um, they are totally cut off, basically. They can only go north um, uh, uh, to another, t- uh, another town up there, Sholo. It's, it's, it's just, it's just terrible watching these wildfires there. All right. Continuing anyway. So, um, so the people Israel are getting tired of their long journey and they began to get to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained. There is nothing to eat here, nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people and many were bitten and died. When the people came to Moses and cried out, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you pray that the Lord will take away the snake. So Moses prayed for the people Then the Lord told him, make a replica of, excuse me, of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who were bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. And if you click on over to my blog, I found a picture um, from Moody Publishers in this site called freebibleimages.org, which is where I've been getting all, all, a lot of the pictures for the Old Testament here. And um, it's a cross with a snake. And if you think about it, that's also cross the, the symbol now for uh, medicine. For anything medical, that's this is where it comes from. So, the next time you look at the, the medical symbol of the snake, you know, around a, a cross, well, that's this. So, it comes from Moses, it comes from Numbers 21. Um, so, um, right after this, they they wandered to Moab to the land of the Amorites. They requested passage through the land from King Sihon, but he also refused. The king, however, mobilized his army and attacked them. The Israelites beat them and set up occupation in their territory at Bashan. They, the same thing happened. And you can you can click over, read, read that story in Numbers 21. I'm going to skip over it because what's important here is Jesus and the symbolism here so and i'm going to borrow from the bible study from spoken gospel again and you can find it in the free new version bible app and it's called jesus in all of numbers by spoken gospel and i quote in the gospel of john jesus says that he is like the bronze serpent he too will be lifted up on a cross like the serpent was lifted up on a pole and he too will take the poison of sin that is killing the world on himself and when we do look at him and believe not only do the snakes of sin and death lose their sting, we get nourished with fresh water in the wilderness. For the New Testament also tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the rock in the wilderness. First Corinthians 10, 4. For he was struck like a rock to provide abundantly for a grumbling people who don't deserve it. We deserve the punishment of Aaron and Moses and the older generation, but God sent his son into the world to raise up a new generation of people who do not perish, who will triumph over the true enemies of God through truth and love, and who will enter into the final promised land. Amen. Now let's review what Jesus said in John 3. And you can click on over to my blog and go to uh, my bible studies page and you can uh go to my study my bible study on the book of john and i go more in depth on the john 3 chapter um but we pick it up in verse 13 no one has ever gone to heaven and returned but the son of man has come down from heaven And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God does look at all of our actions. Seriously, don't think you can hide from him. You can't. You can't follow or obey God if you don't trust God. To trust him fully, you must surrender your life to him. Before you can do that, you must repent of your sins. A sinful person will never enter heaven. Only forgiven people will. So if you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit and get a one-way, non-stop ticket to heaven, and that you won't be left behind at the rapture, which can happen any moment now, this is what you have to do. Believe. Have faith that Jesus is the Christ and he died, taking your sins away forever. Repent of your sins. Stop sinning. Do a complete 180 in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized. Show the world and yourself. That you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ, and get wet in that gorgeous water, that life giving water that just cleanses your sins away, and receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. So, what are you waiting for? Okay, it's time to get right with God. Invite Jesus into your heart right now and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, there's a prayer in the show notes. Or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says, how to invite Jesus into your heart. And at the bottom of my blog today, I've got one of my favorite songs, God so Love the world. Soli leo gloria, to God alone be the glory. Jesus in Numbers, part nine, the infamous talking donkey and the angel of God. This is one of the best stories in the old testament yes it features a talking donkey see god can't do anything so even though the old generation had died off you need to figure there were more kids born in the 40 years of wandering in the desert anyhow there were still a good million to two million people who camped in moab across the jordan river from jericho furthermore word spread about all the great things God did for the Israelites. The King of Moab didn't want these people around. Now, if you've been following God's story from Genesis, you'll remember that the Moabites are descendants of, ooh, think, 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 Lot. Yes, Lot, who lived in Sodom. sin city. So technically, the Israelites are cousins of the Moabites, who are today's Jordanians. Here you'll see a prophet make a choice. A lot of money? Or listen and obey God. What he decides and how he comes to that decision is what makes this story fun. Let's dig in. We're in Numbers 22. Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. Balak... Son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw many Israelites, how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, This mob will devour everything in sight, like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent Messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor. Now don't get these people mixed up because the names sound familiar. Balak, B-L-A, B-A-L-A-K is the king of Moab, um, and then Balaam, which is B-A-L-A-A-M, son of Beor. He was a prophet. Okay, he was living in his native land of of Pathor near the Euphrates River, which is Iraq. His message said, um, so this is King Balak sending Balaam a message. And it reads, look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Exaggeration. Please come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on people you curse. Balak's messengers, who were elders of Moab and Midian, set out with money to pay Balaam to place a curse upon Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak's message. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning, I will tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. That night, God came to Balaam and asked him, who are these men visiting you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me, then perhaps I will be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land. But God told Balaam, do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, go home. The Lord will not let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to King Balak and reported, Balaam refused to come with us. Then King Balak tried again. This time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he had sent the first time. They went to Balaam and delivered this message to him. This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers. Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. But stay here one more night and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. That night God came to Balaam and told him, since these men have come for you, get up and go with them. But do only what I tell you to do. Balaam and his donkey. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. You can see the picture over in my blog of a a cartoon drawing of this. And as Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey saw the angel. Balaam hasn't seen the angel. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times the angel of the Lord demanded? Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. This could have been a pre-incarnate Jesus. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So Balaam went on with Balak's officials. When King Balak heard that Balaam was on his way, he went out to meet him at a Moabite town on the Arnon River at the farthest border of his land. Didn't I say you had an urgent invitation? Why didn't you come right away? Balak asked. Balaam, didn't you believe me when I said I would reward you richly? Balaam replied, look, now I have come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam complained, I'm sorry, Balaam accompanied Balak to um, Kiriath Husoth, where the king sacrificed cattle and sheep. He sent portions of the meat to Balaam and the officials who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal. From there, he could see some of the people of Israel spread out below him. Okay, that's Numbers 22. Numbers 23. Then Balaam said to King Balak, Build me seven altars here and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. Balak followed his instructions, and the two of them sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offerings, and I will go to see if the Lord will respond to me. Then I will tell you whatever he reveals to me. So Balaam went alone to the top of a bare hill, and God met him him there. Balaam said to him, I have prepared seven altars and have sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. The Lord gave Balaam a message for King Balak. Then he said, go back to Balak and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. This was the message Balaam delivered. Balak summoned me to come from Aram. The king of Moab brought me from the eastern hills. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come and announce Israel's doom. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? I see them from the clifftops. I watch them from the hills. I see a people who live by themselves, set apart from other nations. Who can count Jacob's descendants as numerous as dust? Who can count even a fourth of Israel's people? Let me die like the righteous. Let my life end like theirs. Then King Balak demanded of Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies. Instead, you have blessed them. But Balaam replied, I will speak only the message that the Lord puts in my mouth. Balaam's second message. Then King Balak told him, Come with me to another place. There you will see another part of the nation of Israel, but not all of them. Curse at least that many. So Balak took Balaam to the plateau of Zophim on Pisgah Peak. He built seven altars there and offered a young bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to the king, stand here by your burnt offerings while I go over there to meet the Lord. And the Lord met Balaam and gave him a message. Then he said, go back to Balak and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. What did the Lord say? Balak asked eagerly. This was the message Balaam delivered. Rise up, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken or failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Listen, I received a command to bless. God has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. No misfortune is in his plan for Jacob. No trouble is in store for Israel, for the Lord is their God, I'm sorry, for the Lord their God is with them. He has been proclaimed their king. God brought them out of Egypt, for them he is as strong as a wild ox. No curse can touch Jacob. No magic has any power against Israel. For now it will be said of Jacob, what wonders God has done for Israel. These people rise up like a lioness, like a majestic lion rousing itself. They refuse to rest until they have feasted on prey, drinking the blood of the slaughtered. Interesting. Then Balak said to Balaam, fine, but if you won't curse them, at least don't bless them. But Balaam replied to Balak, didn't I tell you that I can only do what the Lord tells me? Balaam's third message. Then King Balak said to Balaam, Come, I will take you to one more place. Perhaps it will please God to let you curse them from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Mount Peor, overlooking the wasteland. Balaam again told Balak, Build me seven altars and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. So Balak did as Balaam ordered and offered a young bull and a ram on each altar by now Balaam realized that the Lord was determined to bless Israel so he did not resort to divination as before instead he turned and looked out toward the wilderness where he saw the people of Israel camped tribe by tribe then the spirit of God came upon him and this is the message he delivered this is the message of Balaam son of Beor, the message of the man whose eyes see clearly The message of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob! How lovely are your homes, O Israel! They spread before me like palm groves, like gardens by the riverside. They are like tall trees planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets, their offspring have all they need. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom would be will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. For them, he is as strong as a wild ox. He devours all the nations that oppose him, breaking their bones in pieces, shooting them with arrows. Like a lion, Israel crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to arouse her. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, O Israel and cursed is everyone who curses you. King Balak flew into a rage against Balaam. He angrily clapped his hands and shouted, I called you to curse my enemies. Instead, you have blessed them three times. Now get out of here. Go back home. I promised you, I promised to reward you richly, but the Lord has kept you from your reward. Balaam told Balak, don't you remember what I told your messengers? I said, even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord. I told you that I could say only what the Lord says. Now I am returning to my own people. But first, let me tell you what the Israelites will do to your people in the future. Balaam's final message. This is the message Balaam delivered. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor. the message of a man whose eyes see clearly, the message of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheph. Edom will be taken over, and Seir, its enemy, will be conquered while Israel marches on in triumph. A ruler will rise in Jacob, who will destroy the survivors of Ur. Then Balaam looked over toward the people of Amalek and delivered this message. Amalek was the greatest of nations, but its destiny is destruction. He looked over towards the uh, the Kenites and delivered this message. Your home is secure. Your nest is set in the rocks, but the Kenites will be destroyed when Assyria takes you captive. Balaam concluded his message by saying, alas, who can survive unless God has willed it? Ships will come from from the coast of Cyprus. They will oppress Assyria and afflict Eber, but they too will be utterly destroyed. Then Balaam left and returned home, and Balak also went on his way. So, the king, up in verse 19, a ruler will rise in Jacob will destroy its survivors of Ur. Okay, and all this, this part here, the last message is talking about Jesus, the far distant future, a star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel, that's Jesus. But here's some other things to think about. Israel is blessed, no one can curse them, that was true back then, and it's true right now. Genesis 12, three, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's Jesus. Balaam feared God. He respected him enough to turn down the lure and temptation of money to obey. Can you do that? How many times have you chosen wealth or pride or lust? When you know better, I know I have a few times, actually more than I care to think about. If you truly follow Jesus, or a committed Christian believer, the Holy Spirit in your heart will help you decide right from wrong. What King Balak wanted to do was, rather than fight the Israelites in battle, which he saw there were too many, so he thought spiritual warfare would work. Little did he know that his prophet for hire, Balaam, knew that the right choice was to obey God. Balaam recognized and understood who God was and that his message had to be told. Which brings me to question, are you on the right path? Here's a prayer to pray. If you ever feel like you are straying from the narrow road, King David wrote in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It's time to get right with God. So what are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. There's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says, how to invite Jesus into your heart. Soli deo gloria to God alone. Be the glory. Jesus in Numbers part 10, disobedience has consequences, obedience has rewards. Sin has consequences, and in Numbers 25, some of the Israelites commit two of the worst, immorality and idolatry. Jesus brings both of these up in the letter to the church in Pergamum in the book of Revelation. Here in Numbers, God deals with the sinners accordingly. The problem is that we humans don't learn from history. We don't learn from the mistakes other people have made and the consequences their bad actions caused. It's part of the lies Satan tells us. He is the tempter and the great deceiver. This lesson can't be any clearer. If we don't learn from the past, we are doomed to repeat it. Let's dig in, we're in Numbers 25. While the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods. So the Israelites feasted with them and worshiped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal, B-A-L-A, Baal, of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. The Lord issued the following command to Moses, seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord in broad daylight. So his fierce anger will turn away from the people of Israel. So Moses ordered Israel's judges, each of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in worshiping Baal of Peor just then one of the israelite men brought a midianite woman into his tent right before the eyes of moses and all the people as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle when phineas son of eleazar and grandson of aaron the priest saw saw this he jumped up and left the assembly he took a spear and rushed after the man into his tent Phineas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body and into the woman's stomach. So the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but not before 24,000 people had died. Well, that's the end of that generation. Then the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, son of Eleazar and grandson of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites by being as zealous among them as I was. So I stopped destroying all Israel as I had intended to do in my zealous anger. Now tell him that I am making my special covenant of peace with him. In this covenant I give him and his descendants a permanent right to the priesthood, for in his zeal for me, his God, he purified the people of Israel, making them right with me. The Israelite man killed with the Midianite woman was named Zamiri, son of Uh, Selu, the leader of a family from the tribe of Simeon. The woman's name was Cosby. She was the daughter of Zer, the leader of a Midianite clan. Then the Lord said to Moses, attack the Midianites and destroy them because they assaulted you with deceit and tricked you into worshipping Baal of Peor because of Cosby, the daughter of a Midianite leader who was killed at the time of the plague because of what happened at Peor. All right, that was numbers 25. After this, all of the old generation who were too afraid and didn't trust God when the spies came back from the promised land are all dead, all except three, Joshua, Caleb, and Moses. However, Moses won't get to enter the promised land for disobeying God by hitting the rock rather than speaking to it. It was a few chapters, a few lessons ago. You can click on over to my blog if you missed that one clearly disobeying God has its consequences now they have to take a new count of the generation of men 20 years and older who are capable of fighting the inhabitants of the promised land so in Numbers 26 we're taking a new census so after the plague had ended the Lord said to Moses and to Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest from the whole community of israel record the names of all the warriors by their families list all the men 20 years old or older who are able to go to war so there on the plains of moab beside the jordan river across from jericho moses and eleazar the priest issued these instructions to the leaders of israel list all the men of israel 20 years and older just as the lord commanded moses And then this is a record of all the descendants of Israel who came out of Egypt. So you can, that's, um, I won't bore you with all the names and the numbers, and you can read them in Numbers 26. You can click on over on my blog. I have a link to that there. But there are some notable names from the tribe of Judah, Perez and his son Hezron, who are ancestors of Jesus, as confirmed in Matthew 1. Click on over to that. I did a study on that one. Continuing, we're picking it up in verse 51. In summary, the registered troops of all Israel numbered six thousand six I'm sorry, six hundred and one thousand seven thirty. Then the Lord said to Moses, Divide the land among the tribes and distribute the grants of land in proportion to the tribes' populations, as indicated by the number of names on the list. Give the larger tribes more land and the smaller tribes less land each group receiving a grant in proportion to the size of its population. But you must assign the land by lot and give land to each ancestral tribe according to the number of names on the list. Each grant of land must be assigned by lot among the larger and smaller tribal groups. And if you click on over to my blog, I have a map from Sweet Publishing from a site called (coughs) freebibleimages.org. Excuse me of the 12 tribes of Israel the actual allocation happens in the book of Joshua and Joshua gets to do this later on so we'll be getting to that um, in due time in Numbers 1 very beginning of the book they had 603,550 so they lost 1,820 men of fighting age all because they didn't trust God Nevertheless we will see in many occasions in the Old Testament, how God can do more with less. What about the Levites, the priests? Well, they're next and we pick it up at verse 62. The men from the Levite clans who were one month old or older numbered 23,000, but the Levites were not included in the registration of the rest of the people of Israel because they were not given an allotment of land when it was divided among the Israelites. So these are the results of the registration of the people of Israel as conducted by Moses and Eleazar the priest on the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River across from Jericho. Now, one person on this list had been among those listed in the previous registration taken by Moses and Aaron in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they will all die in the wilderness. Not one of them survived except Caleb, son of Jephthah. Jeff- Jeffune, Jeff, Jeff, Jeffune. Okay, never mind. and Joshua, son of Nun. That's a simple name. <laughs> Following this, Moses and Eleazar are faced with a different issue, and they take it to God. God always has the answer. We need to remember that. Whatever issues we face, when we take them to God, he provides a solution. It may not always be the solution we want, but he does always provide. In well, Numbers 27, one day a petition was presented by the daughters of, another one, Zelophehad. And then their names are, of course I have to put the names, um, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah. Their father, Zelophehad, was a descendant of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Mekir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph. These women stood before Moses, Eleazar, the priests, the tribal leaders, and the entire community at the entrance of the tabernacle. Our father died in the wilderness, they said. He was not among Korah's followers who rebelled against the Lord. He died because of his own sin, but he had no sons. Why should the name of our father disappear from his clan just because he had no sons? Give us property along with the rest of our relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord and the Lord replied to Moses, the claim of the daughters of Zelophehad is legitimate. You must give them a grant of land along with their father's relatives, assign them the property that would have been given to their father. And give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If a man dies and has no son, then give his inheritance to his daughters. And if he has no daughter, either transfer his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. But if his father has no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan. This is a legal requirement for the people of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And the whole thing was decreed again in, the, in Numbers 36. So I'm not gonna go into Numbers 36 when we get there, but um, you can read ahead of time, but it, has, it deals with this petition. Um, since we have a whole new generation, Moses has to go through all the sacrifice and offering rituals again for them as well as the festivals they must observe. They're in Numbers 28 to 30 and I'll let you read them on your own. And I encourage you to read them on your own. However, keep in mind that what God wants from us is for us to spend holy time with him. Notice that these sacrifices, offerings, and festivals were either daily, weekly, monthly, or annually. We have to spend more time with God so that we know how to live righteously. Here's what you can do daily. Read your Bible and pray. Start your day with God and you'll have the spiritual nourishment that you need to carry you through. End your day with God, and he'll help you sleep in peace and comfort. Weekly, go to church. Find a Bible-focused church that doesn't water down the gospel or fake gospel whatever they're teaching, woke gospel. Please, no. Go to a non-denominational church or a Calvary chapel. Go on Sundays and join a Bible study group that meets once a week. Go to a prayer meeting, even if they're meeting online, okay? You have to go. You have to go to church. You have to fellowship. Monthly, my church holds a women's event on the first Saturday of each month. It's a fun time of socializing and fellowship. So look for for these types of events. Some groups volunteer somewhere once a month. That's a sacrifice of service time that you're giving to God. And then, of course, annually, we have Easter, Pentecost, Christmas. There is no excuse why you can't spend more time with God. Obviously, just going twice a year to church on Christmas and Easter, we call those the CNEs, just doesn't cut it. Jesus told us in Matthew 6.33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Believe me, it really works. Check out my testimony at the bottom of my blog. A relationship with God. Jesus didn't suffer torture and die so we could have religion. He died so he could have a relationship with you. You can't be friends with someone if you don't get together and have conversations. That's prayer, by the way. In the book of Revelation, Jesus tells John to write letters to seven churches. Those churches represent the churches of today. The letter to the church in Ephesus asks if we love the church more than Jesus. We're supposed to worship Jesus directly, not follow what church is teaching or a pastor or a priest only or rituals have to go because it's an obligation. No, you go because you want to be closer to God, like you want to fellowship with people. In the letter to the church in Smyrna, we learn that if we remain faithful, we will receive the crown of life. The church in Pergamum had a major problem that Jesus hated, and that was idolatry and immorality. And we go again. We still have those problems today. We are supposed to worship the one true God only, not Mary, not saints, not a job, not a lifestyle or a car. We are supposed to have a strong moral compass. Look at our world today, and and we see that evil, immorality, and chaos are so prominent. The letter to the church in Thyatira questions whether we love our faith over our jobs. That's a very controversial subject right now. Do we stand up for our faith or give in to the immoral culture just to stay in business? Stuff happens when you least expect it, as Jesus says a lot, like a thief in the night. Next church, you got to go check it out. The church in Philadelphia was one of the two churches who did not get a scolding. They got a letter of encouragement and hope because they were faithful. And lastly, we have Laodicea was the lukewarm church, neither hot nor cold. And Jesus spit them out. They, they had all they needed, so they didn't care. Apathy is a huge problem in today's world, too. But afterwards, Jesus says this, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. It's Revelation 3.20. Jesus is calling you. Can you hear him? He won't force himself into your life. You have to let him in. It's time to get right with God. What are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life you don't know what to say, if you don't know what to do, there's a prayer in the show notes. Or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says how to invite Jesus into your heart. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Jesus in Numbers finale. Finally in the finale. All the promised land is a sacred place. It's been a long and winding road for the Israelites to wander 40 years in the wilderness. Finally, they are across the Jordan River from the promised land. However, God has a little housekeeping or sanctification to do first. The promised land is a sacred land. God wants only righteous people living there. The current inhabitants in God's eyes are idol worshippers, evil, wicked people the Israelites was go in and conquer them and take over their land. That takes the men of fighting age that we counted in the last lesson, all of them. What happens when a couple of tribes prefer the land on the east side of the Jordan? Can they compromise with God? Should anyone try to compromise with God? Let's dig in. Numbers 31, conquest of the Midianites. Then the Lord said to Moses on behalf of the people of Israel take revenge on the Midianites for leading them into idolatry after that you will die and join your ancestors so Moses said to the people choose some men and arm them to find the Lord's war of, to fight the Lord's war of revenge against Midian From each tribe of Israel sent a thousand men into battle. So they chose a thousand men from each tribe of Israel, a total of 12,000 men armed for battle. Then Moses sent them out, a thousand men from each tribe, and Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, led them into battle. They carried along the holy objects of the sanctuary and the trumpets for sounding the charge. They attacked Midian as the Lord had commanded Moses, and they killed all the men, all five of the Midianite kings, Evi, Zer, Hur, and Reba died in the battle. They also killed Balaam, son of Baor, with the sword. Then the Israelite army captured the Midianite women and children and seized their cattle and flocks and all their wealth as plunder. They burned all the towns and villages where the Midianites had lived. After they had gathered the plunder and captives, both people and animals, they brought them all to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the whole community of Israel, which was camped on the plains of Moab beside the Jordan River across from Jericho. Moses, Eleazar the priest, and all the leaders of the community went to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was furious with all the generals and captains who had returned from the battle. Um, Why have you let all the women live, he demanded. These are the very ones who followed Balaam's advice and caused the people of Israel to rebel against the Lord at Mount Peor. They are the ones who caused the plague to strike the Lord's people. So kill all the boys and all the women who have had intercourse with a man. Only the young girls who are virgins may live. You may keep them for yourselves. And all of you who have killed anyone or touched a dead body, must stay outside the camp for seven days. You must purify yourselves and your captives on the third and seventh day. days. Purify all your clothing too, and everything made of leather, goat hair, or wood. Then Ilias, the priest, said to the men who were in the battle, the Lord has given Moses this legal requirement. Anything made of gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, or lead, that is all metals that do not burn, must be passed through fire in order to be made ceremonially pure. These metal objects must then be further purified with the water of purification before everything, but everything that burns must be purified by the water alone. On the seventh day, you must wash your clothes and be purified. Then you may return to the camp. Uh, so it's Numbers 31, 1 through 24. So next they divide the plunder. And you can read that on your own because um, it goes into a bunch of detail and bunch of numbers again. Then you might think that this was done for the wealth, but no, it was God's revenge on the Midianites. Uh, and check out Psalm 94. I have a link to it in my blog. But the last verse says it all. Um, Psalm 94, verse 23. God will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. The Lord our God will destroy them. Oh, that sounds pretty clear to me. Interesting, too, that not one Israelite died in the battle with the Midianites. Even Balaam, who had a chance but blew it, got to go back two lessons, chasing money instead of righteousness, was killed since he couldn't curse the Hebrews. He told the Midianite women to seduce the Hebrews. He, too, died the death of the wicked going on picking up Numbers 31 and verse 51. So Moses and Eleazar the priest received the gold from all the military commanders all kinds of jewelry and crafted objects and all the gold that the generals and captains presented as a gift to the Lord weighed about 420 pounds All the fighting men had taken some of the plunder for themselves. So Moses and Eliezer, the priests, accepted the gifts from the general and captains and brought the gold to the tabernacle as a reminder to the Lord that the people of Israel belonged to him. Well, as it turns out, not all the Midianites were killed. And later in the book of Judges, we'll see that they invade Israel. The lesson here, you can't give the devil the slightest foothold it's like the yeast a tiny bit infiltrates all the dough so that's why they couldn't leave the Midianite women alive numbers 32 the tribes east of the jordan river okay the tribes of reuben and gad owned vast numbers of livestock so when they saw that the lands of Jazer and gilead were ideally suited for their flocks and herds they came to Moses, Eleazar the priest, and the other leaders of the community. They said, "Notice the towns of Adaroth, Dibon, Jazar, Nimrod, Hezbon, uh, Lalele, Lalele. Okay, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Simba, Nebo, and Beon. Be on the lookout. No. Um, the Lord has conquered this whole area for the community of Israel." and it is ideally suited for all our livestock. If we have found favor with you, please let us have this land as our property instead of giving us land across the Jordan River. Do you intend to stay here while your brothers go across and do all the fighting? Modus asked the men of Gad and Reuben. Why do you want to discourage the rest of the people of Israel from going across to the land the Lord has given them? Your ancestors did the same thing when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. That's the whole story of the, um, the spies. And it goes into that, but I'm going to skip that since we just we covered that. You can, you can go back and read that later or read it on your own. So we're picking it back up in verse 13. The Lord was angry with Israel and made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the entire generation that sinned in the Lord's sight had died. But here you are a brood of sinners doing exactly the same thing. You are making the Lord even angrier with Israel. If you turn away from him like this and he abandons them again in the wilderness, you will be responsible for destroying the entire nation. But they approached Moses and said, We simply want to build pens for our livestock and fortified towns for our wives and children. Then we will arm ourselves and lead our fellow Israelites into battle until we have brought them safely to their land. Meanwhile, our families will stay in the fortified towns we build here, so they will be safe from any attacks by the local people. We will not return to our homes until all the people of Israel have received their portions of land. But we do not claim any of the land on the other side of the Jordan. We would rather live here on the east side and accept this as our grant of land. Then Moses said, if you keep your word and arm yourselves, for the Lord's battles. And if your troops cross the Jordan and keep fighting until the Lord has driven out his enemies, then you may return when the Lord has conquered the land. You will have fulfilled your duty to the Lord and to the rest of the people of Israel. And the land on the east side of the Jordan will be your property from the Lord. But if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out go ahead and build towns for your families and pens for your flocks and do everything you have promised. Then the men of Gad and Reuben replied, we, your servants will follow your instructions. Exactly. Our children, wives and flocks and cattle will stay here in the towns of Gilead, but all who are able to bear arms will cross over to fight for the Lord. Just as you have said. So Moses gave orders to the liaison, the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the leaders of the clans of Israel. He said, The men of Gad and Reuben who are armed for battle must cross the Jordan with you to fight for the Lord. If they do, give them the land of Gilead as their property when the land is conquered. But if they refuse to arm themselves and cross over with you, then they must accept the land with the rest of you in the land of Canaan. The tribes of Gad and Reuben said again, We are your servants and we will do as the Lord has commanded. We will cross the Jordan into Canaan, fully armed to fight. Um, for the Lord, but our property will be here on this side of the Jordan. So that was Numbers 32, 1 through 6, and 13 through 32. Um, Now it actually ends up that part of the tribe of Manasseh, which is from Joseph's line, wants to also be on the east side. So you'll see in the map As you come into, uh, click on over to my blog, and there's a map of where all the tribes are. So you see, there's two, two areas where Manasseh is, and so that's because the tribe is split. Um, Okay, so Numbers 30. um, Okay, well, okay, back up. Numbers 33 is a detailed recap of the whole journey from when they escaped from Egypt, through to where they are, camped across the river from Jericho, and you can read it for yourself on your own. Why the recap? Well, considering that most of this generation was born while they were wandering in the desert, they needed a history lesson. They needed to understand all that God did for them and that God led them every step of the way. Numbers 34, boundaries of the land. So here we see exactly how big the promised land really is. Check out the map over over in my blog, to see where each tribe ended up, and it's interesting that the borders described here cover way more territory than what the state of Israel is now. Okay, so you might want to pull up uh, uh, some on a map of like Google Earth or something to see where exactly Israel is now, and so you'll and you'll see what the what the Promised Land really looks like. And and um, in the end, they will get it back, but we're not talking about that now (laughs) all right so we're in numbers 33 then the lord said to moses give these instructions to the israelites when you come into the land of canaan which i am giving you as your special possession these will be the boundaries the southern portion of your country will extend from the wilderness of zin along the edge of edom the southern boundary will begin on the east at the dead sea it will then run south past scorpion pass in the direction of zin Its southernmost point will be Kadesh Barnea, from which it will go to Hazar Adar and on to Asmon. From Asmon, the boundary will turn toward the brook of Egypt and end at the Mediterranean Sea. Your western boundary will be the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. Your northern boundary will begin at the Mediterranean Sea and run east to Mount Hor, then to Lebo Hamath and on through Zadad and Ziphron to Hazar-Anan. This will be your northern boundary. The eastern boundary will start at Hazar-Anan and run south to Shepham, then run down to Ribla on the east of Ain. A-I-N. Okay. From there, the boundary will run down along the eastern edge of the Sea of Galilee and then along the Jordan River to the Dead Sea. These are the boundaries of your land. Then Moses told the Israelites, this territory is the homeland you are to divide among yourselves by sacred lot. The Lord has commanded that the land be divided among the nine and a half remaining tribes. The families of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh have already received their grants of land on the east side of the Jordan River across from Jericho toward the sunrise. And again, you could click on over to my blog and take a look at the map of where all the tribes of Israel are. Okay, it's an image by Sweet publishing it from freebibleimages.org, which is really cool. It's a really cool place. I really I mean I'm getting a lot of my graphics from there. In the end of Numbers 34, Moses lists the leaders of the 12 tribes. But what about the Levites, the priests? Well, they're next. Numbers 35, land for the Levites and the Cities of Refuge. While Israel was camped beside the Jordan on the plains of Moab across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, command the people of Israel to give to the Levites from their property certain towns to live in, along with the surrounding pasture lands. These towns will be for the Levites to live in, and the surrounding lands will provide pasture for their cattle, flocks, and other livestock. And then the goes into the pasture lands being measured out and more numbers um verse six six of the towns you give the levites will be cities of refuge where a person who has accidentally killed someone can flee for safety in addition give them 42 other towns in all 48 towns with the surrounding pasture lands will be given to the levites these towns will come from the property of the people of israel The larger tribes will give more towns to the Levites, while the smaller tribes will give fewer. Each tribe will give property in the proportion to the size of its land. That's number 35, 1 through 6. Cities of refuge, we pick it up at verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, designate cities of refuge to which people can flee if they have killed someone else accidentally. These cities will be places of protection from a dead person's relatives who want to avenge the death. The slayer must not be put to death before being tried by the community. Designate six cities of refuge for yourselves. Three on the east side of the Jordan River and three on the west in the land of Canaan. These are the are cities for the protection of the Israelites, foreigners living among you and traveling merchants. Anyone who accidentally kills someone may flee there for safety. That's numbers 35, 9 through 15. And you can read the rest of the details there because God goes into specific details. Well, if this happens, then do this. And, you know, he, he actually writes out different possible scenarios that, that is a great judge. You know, that is a great judge. But, all right, so finishing off numbers here. So Jesus is our city of refuge. So after all this, we are reminded, as the Israelites were, that everything belongs to God. Besides that, God lives with us, just like he lived with the Israelites in the promised land. He lives with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. Just like the Levites serving in every city, born-again Christians act as priests wherever they live and wherever they go. Because we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We become a sacred place, communing with Jesus all the time. Here are some thoughts from the Bible study by Spoken Gospel, which is one of my favorites. Consider the cities of refuge. God is the avenger of blood who can exercise his right to put us to death. However, he provides us with a city of refuge in Jesus. Jesus fulfills the laws about marriage and land as well because we are married to Jesus through faith. We will inherit the whole earth with him when he returns. Again, that's from Jesus and All of Numbers by Spoken Gospel. There's a link in our blog, uh, my blog, to that. And we'll be using Spoken Gospel as we delve into Deuteronomy. And believe me, I'm going to skip through that as much as I can, but I'm going to. Um, rely on um, this Bible study and another one to pull out, you know, the good meaty stuff that's really important and to skip over the what you don't need to know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Do you want this inheritance? We will inherit the whole earth with him when he returns. That's a new heaven and the new earth. You can read about that in uh, Revelation chapter 21. What's really important is If you're not sure if you're saved or not, if you truly want to be born again and have the assurance of salvation, receive the Holy Spirit, and get a one-way, non-stop ticket to heaven, and that you won't be left behind at the rapture, what you have to do is believe, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Simply invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift and confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to save, you don't know what to do. There's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over to my blog and click where it says "How to Invite Jesus into Your Heart." Um, uh, and also at the bottom of my blog, I embedded the the other map that I have of the whole trip that these poor, that these people took. I would say poor people, but because they, you know, they made their own path. They made they they you know they didn't trust God enough to say, hey, we can go in there and we can slay these giants because God is on our side, just like, you know, David uh, did with Goliath, and we will read about that when we get to the books of Samuel, um, you know, and and that's just it. You have to trust God and know that God is bigger than anything. It's bigger than the biggest giant in your life. Solidero gloria, to God alone be the glory.